Hey guys, welcome to the Indie Game Development Podcast. Here we tackle the challenges of indie game development head-on from the technical to the emotional and talk about the secrets to conquering self-doubt on your journey to crafting games that people will love. Subscribe so you never miss another episode, and if you haven't already, then give us a rating and review so that this podcast gets shared with more people. We'd really, really appreciate it. Ready? Let's go. Hey guys, today I want to talk about five indie game dev mistakes that you must avoid. So. I've made plenty of mistakes in my game development journey so far, and I want to share them with you so that hopefully you can avoid the mistakes that I have made along the way, and you'll be better prepared to make your mark in this industry. And I do want to preface this by saying that I'm not an expert. I'm really just getting started on my own journey, but I think that that is a pro rather than a con because some of the mistakes that I've made are still pretty fresh in my mind, so I can speak from a pretty clear perspective on that. So number one is starting a devlog on a whim. This one's pretty quick. Uh, starting a devlog is not for everyone, okay? This is an individual decision that you need to make. So there's really no general one-size-fits-all advice that I can give here. But with that being said, I will say before you decide to start a devlog, put some real thought and research into what it takes to have a successful devlog series. Here's why. A devlog on the surface, it can sound like it's really, really easy exposure for your game and like it's a fun way to document the progress of your game for your potential fans. But the reality of making a devlog series is that a devlog is not the easiest way to market your game, okay? It's, it's not the easiest. It's free. And actually, it can end up paying you and becoming a source of income. So that's a huge pro. But the amount of time that you have to sink into it to gain even just some slight traction, it can take years. If I recall, I had been going for eight months with my YouTube channel and I had just over 600 subscribers after after eight months of work. Just to give you an idea of what it can be like. Devlogs take a lot of time to put together. It takes me and my wife a solid week or so to make a devlog video that we're happy with, and that's with a team of two, okay? I write the scripts, and I record the screen capture and the audio, and she edits the videos, and that is, between the two of us, that's a week of our time every single time we release a devlog. And this is actually one of the reasons I opted to start making some easier content on my YouTube channel, because devlogs can take so much of your time. The YouTube algorithm is not going to share your video if you just slap something together that's not intriguing to the viewer. So if you aren't really going to put in a solid effort, then it can be a real waste of your time. And if you are willing to put in a solid effort, you have to be comfortable with the fact that a lot of your work time is not going to be working on your game. It's going to be making videos about making your game, which is a really weird thing to switch into. It can be difficult to change your mindset into that space. Nothing right or wrong. Either way, you just need to be prepared for the amount of work that it's going to be because I certainly was not prepared for it when I started my YouTube channel. Number two, being too rigid with your game design. And I'm not going to talk about scope creep as something that you need to avoid because that is something that is talked about everywhere already. I think if you've listened to anything on game development anywhere, you know about scope creep and you know to avoid it. I actually want to talk about the opposite problem, though, which is being too rigid with your game design. So while scope creep is what happens when you're a little bit too flexible with your design, or maybe it happens from a lack of planning or whatever it is, but being too rigid can also end up hurting your game. 
games start as a series of ideas and not all ideas end up being as cool or funny or entertaining or whatever it is that you want it to be as you thought in your mind. Maybe you've created a character with a really floaty jump, so there's like a lot of horizontal velocity so you can travel from one side of the room to the other in one jump. But maybe you excel at designing tight levels in confined spaces, and so now you have to make a decision. Do you change your levels to match your character's abilities, or do you change the character to match the levels that you're good at making? So without some flexibility, your game might end up being a weird mishmash of things that don't fit well together. A big part of making games is just making thousands upon thousands of tiny decisions and hoping that the end result is a product that's fun for your consumer to play. But as your game starts to take form, it almost ends up with its kind of own personality, right? Like you might have pictured a combat-focused game, but instead it seems like your game really wants to be more focused on puzzles and less on combat. This can happen over the scope of development where it just seems to take on a bit of a life of its own. Just because your game design document or your plans say one thing, it doesn't mean that they can't change. Your game is going to evolve over time, and letting it evolve over time, within reason, will result in a better game overall. Number three, working on a genre that you're not passionate about. When I first quit my job, I started working on a roguelike, which honestly did not make a lot of sense for me at the time, because... At that time, I did not play roguelike games. I can't, I wanted to like them, but I often didn't finish them, so obviously there's an element there that just personally it wasn't right for me at the time. So why the heck did I start making one in the first place? And I started making one in the first place because it felt manageable. It felt like something I could finish within a year or so and then publish and move on. So if you break it down, I made a business decision rather than an artistic decision. Which way you decide to go is ultimately up to you and your level of risk tolerance. If you want to make your dream video game, it's probably going to take you longer than something you feel a little bit more neutral about. There's nothing right or wrong either way, but ultimately you have to take your own motivation into account. Can you work on something for hours on end every day for years if you don't even really care about the end product that much. Some people can. I definitely cannot. There was definitely a huge uptick in my productivity and energy levels when I quit working on my very first roguelike game, which wasn't even named at the time, and I started my Metroidvania game, Veil of Maya, because I'm passionate about Metroidvanias. It's a genre I really love. I have great memories playing them, whereas I definitely didn't feel the same way about my first roguelike. Now, this did all change, by the way. I ended up playing a couple of really great roguelikes, like Hades, for instance, that really made me fall in love with the genre. So my feelings on this have changed quite a lot since I originally wrote this script, but it is important that you know yourself, know what keeps you motivated, and do everything to keep yourself excited for your project. Picking a genre you love will go a long way. Number four, putting other devs on a pedestal. So Hollow Knight is one of my favorite games of all time, okay? And knowing it was mainly just two guys who created that game, I often find myself comparing myself to them. And when I compare myself as a developer to them, what I'm doing is I'm putting them up on this pedestal. They're way up here, right? You can't see my hand, but they're way, way, way above me, and I'm just me, way, way down below that, right? 
I won't pretend like I have a handle on this completely and like I've fixed this and like I don't compare myself to other developers anymore. I do it all the time. I think as humans, it's very natural for us to compare ourselves to other people, but that doesn't mean that it's a mentally healthy thing to do though. So just because someone out there created something that you love and that game feels like it's outside of your skill level, that doesn't mean that you can't also create a game that other people are going to love. Another thing to keep in mind, just when you compare yourself to others, what are you comparing yourself to exactly, right? Because you don't really get to peek behind their curtain and see their work process, how many struggles they have to overcome on a daily basis. All you really get to see is what they let you see, and that might be YouTube videos, or it might be their finished product, their game, right? What they put in their devlogs or or their blogs or just the final polished game, whatever it is, they are human too. They had doubts. They had struggles. They had a hard time figuring out how to draw or code or design some aspect of their game as well. Here's the thing. If you want to make a video game, it's going to take a while. And if you are constantly putting other devs on this pedestal high, high, high above you, it's going to feel like you're failing on some level all the time because you haven't yet achieved that level of quote unquote greatness that these developers you're comparing yourself to have. And it's really, really hard to work on something for years when on a daily basis you feel like you're failing or like you just suck, right? That's going to drain you and dry up all of your energy. You are unique. You have a unique set of circumstances. You have a unique sense of humor, a unique sense of what's fun, what's cool, what would be fun to play, how to solve your game design problems, all of that, right? If you set out and you aim to make the funnest experience possible, you put your ego aside to allow for feedback or other ideas that might be better than your ideas and you constantly strive to do better work than you did yesterday, then you're going to be just fine and your game will end up being the best that it can be. And number five, letting your ego code the game. And what do I mean by this? Well, when you want something really, really badly, like going full-time as a game developer, or you want to release a critically acclaimed masterpiece and kind of hit that game dev glory streak, right? This is likely going to become a part of your identity, your game. It's going to become a part of your identity. And when something like this becomes a part of your identity, it can be really easy to lose the joy in what you are doing on a daily basis. Why? Because when you have a specific identity, I am an indie game developer, right? Your ego gets involved because you're trying to prove something to yourself and probably to other people around you as well. And when your ego gets involved in the process of creativity, you're just going to be more miserable and your work is not going to be as good. You're going to be miserable because you will obsess over your game. Even when you're not working and you're supposed to be spending time with your family or whatever, in your mind, you're programming or solving problems or trying to figure out what could be causing that bug or how to fix that problem. And you aren't actually mentally there with your family or your friends or whoever it is you're trying to spend time with. And your work won't be as good because you're now trying to make a game in order to prove to yourself or to other people that you are good enough to make games. And if that's what you're doing, then your focus is just a little bit misplaced, right? Creating something that people will love or be entertained or intrigued by versus creating something to make you look smart or competent, right? That's the difference. Which one do you think will end up being better? 
I'm actually taking a course for content creators because I want to entertain and inspire as many people from my YouTube channel and from my podcast as possible. But in this course, they teach you to make content for your viewers, right? Make things that other people want to watch. Focus less on what you want to say and more on what people want to hear. And a perfect example of this is a devlog that my wife and I made where I fixed a bunch of bugs in our game. But I spent about three to four hours writing the script for this devlog and it was utter trash and I ended up having to rewrite it. And it was trash because I was focused on me and the fact that I wanted to be seen as someone smart or intelligent. And this is something that I sometimes do without really realizing it to cover up insecurities that I have and I kind of have to fight it a little bit. But I had fixed a few bugs in our game that I was I was proud that I was able to fix them. Some of the solutions I thought of, I thought were really elegant and I was kind of on this high because I was feeling proud of myself, right? It's fine to feel proud of yourself, but my mistake was all that ego ended up in the script and it ended up being very technical with lots of code and explanations and me jabbering on about really, really boring stuff that I think a lot of my viewers wouldn't really resonate with because it made me feel smart. And that was the story that I wanted to tell, but that definitely was not the most entertaining way to tell the story. My focus was on me instead of the viewer. So do everything in your power to put your ego aside. You're going to be happier and your game will turn out better. That's all I got for you today. If you love this episode and you haven't already left a rating and review, please consider doing that now because it really helps the podcast grow and reach more awesome people like yourself. Thanks so much.